This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I recently posted two interesting bonus episodes to my Patreon account. First, for my indie bookstore series, I interviewed Alana Haley at Schuler Books in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about her store, how it went viral on TikTok, its place in the community, and the fact that the store is also an indie publisher. For my Bookstagrammer series, I chatted with Deb Coco of at Lone Star Words and Kathy Starnes of at K Starnes about their accounts, the process of writing reviews, and then we followed it up with a deep dive into Southern literature. Thanks to the fabulous people that have joined my Patreon group as page turners. I am thrilled to chat books with you and greatly appreciate the support. If you have not yet and want to learn more, the link is in the show notes. Thank you as well to the wonderful individuals who have shared about the podcast recently on Instagram. Kelly of Kelly Hook Reads Books, Virginia of Virginia's Reading Life, Nana of Read the World Better, Deb of Lone Star Words, Kathy of K Starnes, Becky of Becky on Books, Mary of Homegrown Book Picks, Kristen of Kristen's Reading Nook, and Yvonne of Yo Books and Things. I really appreciate your sharing it and helping more people find the podcast. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am speaking with Todd Doty about Little Pieces of Hope. Todd is currently Senior Vice President, Deputy Publisher of Doubleday, and has worked at Penguin Random House for more than two decades. A graduate of Southern Illinois University in Carbondale and a former bookseller, he lives with his partner in Westchester County, New York. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Todd. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm so excited to speak about Little Pieces of Hope. Ah, thank you. Um, it's so surreal to be on this side of the publishing fence. You know, I've, I've spent 22 years of my professional life in publicity, and we're always the caboose of the train. So to create this book and have it out in the world now, it's just, it's a miracle that's not lost on me. <laughs> Well, that's one of the things I can't wait to talk about is being on the flip side of it when you have worked in publishing all this time and now you have your own book coming out. Would you just give me a quick synopsis of Little Pieces of Hope for those that won't have read it yet? Absolutely. So the book is a celebration of all the things that bring us joy in life. I have taken about 3,000 individual happy-making things, everything from TV shows, books, articles, sayings, feelings, memories, movies, recipes, and so much more, and put them into carefully curated lists, dozens of them, along with essays and playlists, so that I hope it gives the reader just this jolt of joy. I like to think of it as a daily devotional of delight. You know, you can read it all the way through, of course, but you can also pick it up and put it down, jump in and out. And I love the thought of somebody doing that. Well, that is one of the things that I loved about the book. And I mentioned to you before we got started was that I had sat down and read it from beginning to end originally, but now I just love picking it up and seeing what page I open to and reading that particular page. So it's really perfect because you can do it either way. Oh, I love that. And I hope that, you know, you and others who read it start making their own lists or think of their own happy making things. 
you know, this all started about 18 months ago on March 11th when the WHO declared the global pandemic. And I was on the train and I thought, I'm going to make a list of happy making things in a difficult world and put it on my Instagram. So I started with that very first list. And on it are things like New York City, a fat goldfish, a really good burger, uh, any movie of Catherine Hepburn's, but specifically her entrance in The Lion in Winter, Bacon, Lin-Manuel Miranda from the mixed up files of Mrs. Baisley, Frank Weiler. So it's this hodgepodge of everything that I have loved in one place. And I just kept going and going and going. And the list just grew on and on and on. I was so curious as I was reading it. Initially, obviously, it was probably pretty easy to come up with your original list. But like, does it get harder and harder? Or where, where do you pull from to create these lists as you keep going? Well, you know, one of the things that's happened during this time is that we've all been forced to notice the world around us in a way that we haven't before. So each night we watch Jeopardy and then I plop down on the couch and for about 90 minutes to two hours, I carefully worked on these lists in the notes app in my iPhone. And I happen to be a pack rat. So I save things like postcards of pieces of art that I've loved, articles I've read over the years, books, you know, photos and uh, letters and things like that. So I drew a lot from my own personal experience, songs, everything else. But then also I would read an article that day and put it into the list. So I did a little bit of research. There's tons of animal group names in the book and factoids that I found fascinating. So I guess I would have to say it was kind of a mix of memory and discovery. You know, there's a fine line between both, but that's where it all came from. Usually there was one or two things that kind of sparked the initial list that day. We'd be in our car and we'd hear a great song on the radio and I'd take a screenshot of the radio you know, panel in our car and then put that song in later. So while the, the act of creating was dedicated each day, there was usually one or two things and that would kind of get me off to the races. Well, and I guess once you got started, as you were just saying, and you knew you were making these lists, it's a lot easier to pay attention to everything that's happening in your day-to-day life and start kind of documenting as you go. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was doing that, what the great thing that would happen is I would see a photo and think, oh, that's a good addition. Or I would, you know, as I mentioned, read something and add that in. And it was a way of kind of keeping grounded. And, you know, this time has truly been unprecedented. But I think the book could also apply if you're having just a regular battle day or you're having a tough time in life. These are the touchstones that have gotten me through. And I think the reader and I can share that, whether it's something new or old for you. I agree completely. I think early on in the pandemic, I found that I needed something to focus on other than the pandemic. And much like you're saying, you created these lists. I started the podcast. I think you needed something to kind of pull yourself out of the terrible news and everything that was happening that was unprecedented and quite scary often. But I think as you keep going, your book is great because people are experiencing many other things other than just the pandemic and having something like this when they're having a bad day or something's happened or they're just not in a good mood to kind of pull you out of it. Your book is perfect. Ah, I love hearing that. You know, I I think that we were very careful about the pacing of the book for the reader. You know, you'll notice it's highly designed. There are different fonts. There's Josie's beautiful art throughout. There are borders. 
there are a list on a page next to one thing on a page. So we kind of wanted to give that zigzag experience of the list to the book itself. And, you know, there's that gorgeous, cheery yellow cover. And sprinkled throughout are those essays that I mentioned. And that was a real joy to kind of expand on one thought because you'll see the lists themselves. The items are very specific and very short. And that was done on purpose. You know, one thing may switch to another or be connected, but the essays themselves gave me a little bit more room and freedom to expand. And that was a, that was a blast. Well, that was actually my next question. You have these lists of happy making things interspersed with mixtapes, short essays, sometimes just a quote on a page. How did you decide to do that? And that's a little bit of what you just addressed, but how did you all sit down and decide, okay, we're going to come up with this kind of mishmash and have it all flow together so well? So 50% of the book contains new material. So there are about 41 new lists. So we took what existed from the spring into the summer last year. And then I worked in all of the new material, including those essays and mixtapes that you reference, into the larger picture of the book. And, you know, one of the great things that you can experience are those mixtapes. They're all on Spotify. I put them together for everyone. And we were, again, very just very careful and deliberate about that pacing of the book for the reader. Because if you are reading it straight through, that's a very different experience than dipping in or out. And every reader brings their his or her experience, reading habits to each book. And we thought, you know, this will make it easy on the reader. I'm laughing because you keep preempting my questions. My very oh, sorry. next question. No, it's good. <laughs> I'm like, you're ahead of me here. My next question was going to be, are the mixtapes on Spotify? <laughs> they are indeed. Um, they're there. And the Penguin folks have done a little piece, uh, little pieces of hope playlist as well. So there are actually nine now that are online. And it's all this music that either I loved or discovered. There's some Barbara Mandrell, there's some Loretta Lynn, there's some Erasure. It's really, it's a good mix, I think, you know, and there's, there's a quiet playlist, there's a slow dance playlist, there's a holiday playlist. So we tried to give everybody options. I really enjoy music. So I enjoyed pouring over your mixtape selections and which songs you picked. And there is a wide range, which I always think is so much fun. Well, thank you for that. You know, I am from the generation of actual Sony cassette tapes, boom boxes, and Walkmans. So I still literally have all of the mixtapes that my two college roommates, Casey and Jeremy, have made for me here. And, you know, that was always such a wonderful surprise when somebody made that for you because it was their list and their songs and it meant so much to them, but then they're sharing it with you. You know, and when you think about it, that's what happens with books and movies and articles and TV shows. You know, somebody loves something and tells you to watch it and you go and do it. So there's a communal experience, even though you might be watching or reading or listening alone. I love that because I think about that with television shows these days, because there are so many networks, streaming services, just trying to find something good to watch has become so much more complicated. But I love when a friend tells me you need to go watch Only Murders in the Building. And then I watch it and then I go back and talk about it with him or her. And so, yes, I think you're exactly right. It is communal, even though you might be doing it on your own. Well, I will tell you, you know, Dan Levy and the entire cast and crew uh, that made Schitt's Creek got me through the early days in 2020. And it was such a bomb to the spirit that like I did the ugly cry, you know, when <laughs> the last episode aired like bawling, you know, snot running down your nose because it was over and you had experienced this wonderful thing. 
And that was really just my happy place for such a long time. I can almost quote certain episodes verbatim, but you know, we had never watched it and it was recommended to us and we were off to the races. And everyone else. I think people will always now associate Schitt's Creek with the pandemic. Absolutely. You know, and it was great for me just to have 22 minutes of pure escape. I, you know, I think that each list can be escape for the reader as well. You know, you may not know something on that list, so you might have to go look it up, but that's part of the fun of it, you know? Well, so let's talk a little bit about working in the publishing industry and then putting out your first book. Was it as you thought it would be? Was there a lot that surprised you a little bit? I mean, how was all of that? It has been a surreal and wonderful experience. I have been in publishing for 22 years. The past 16, I have spent wonderfully at Doubleday. You know, I am a book nerd who grew up in a small rural town and the library and books were a haven for me. I was a bookseller in college and then moved to New York City and worked at the Walden Books on Wall Street. And in 1998, a friend of mine mentioned a job and publicity opening at Random House. And I went on the interview and somehow I convinced them to hire me and it gave me the rest of my professional life. So on the publicity front, I always say that we are the caboose of the train. If you see an author on TV or you hear an author on a podcast or NPR, or you read something online, or you go to an author event virtually or in person, there's a publicist behind the scenes who's managing all of that. So To be on this side of the publishing fence is a totally different and new experience, but it's been nothing but a complete joy. You know, when I did that first list, I never thought that this would become a book ever. It was just that list that day and the next day and the next day and the next day, and that became my habit. So the fact that this has happened is a miracle. And It's given me a perspective that I didn't have before. Like I have now seen the entire experience from A to Z. Well, that's what I was wondering, because you are at the tail end as a publicist of the entire process. So it probably filled in some gaps that maybe you didn't even know you had or explained why certain things happen the way they do. Sure. I had never been through the copy editing process because that's a separate part and not, you know, a part of my job um, in what I do. And Randy Marullo and Karen Wise are the two copy editors who worked with me. And, you know, they were incredible. I wanted to be very sure that there were no specific repeats in the book. There are little Easter eggs throughout of things that crop up again in different ways, like Lin-Manuel and Miranda and his work, Anne Rice and her books, Catherine Hepburn and her movies. Um, So that was all deliberate. But, you know, they were able to help me shape everything, get everything right. And then by the end of that experience, they gave me a copy edited document with all of the items listed in the book. And there were indeed over 3000 individual things. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay, I've put a lot of work into this. You know, it's funny because when you're creating those every day, you kind of I'd never really thought about it as a whole until we started reassembling the project. And that was a really interesting experience to go back and see it all from the beginning. I would think it would be because just with the format and the way it kind of skips around and you alternate what you've got on the pages, I would think that would have been quite a process to get it to be an actual book. Yeah, we had the first passes here with me in my apartment and I color coded 
the new entries and the essays with different color post-its so that I could keep it organized so that if we moved something, I knew what it was and where it was. But it was kind of like assembling a jigsaw puzzle or putting together a big quilt, taking all of those disparate pieces and making them into a cohesive whole. And that was really fun for me. And as you mentioned, though, if you pull one piece out and put it someplace else, sometimes that impacts all sorts of other pieces. So then you have to be like, okay, I've moved this one. Does that mess with anything else? Well, that is where the genius of Meg Letter, my editor and North Star extraordinaire, comes in because she was really the guiding force behind this. You know, she found Josie's Josie and her art and brought her in. Sabrina Bowers is the actual designer of the book. I gave her three sentences, you know, like, let's use lots of fonts and let's make them (laughs) bold and some can be bigger and some uh, entries we'll pull out and put on a separate page. And they are the geniuses that corralled all of this with me and for me. And that collaboration, doing the project after being, you know, typing out these lists alone was really special. And probably so much fun. Oh, it was a blast, you know, because... When we were deciding about the art of the book, I actually found this piece of paper the other day. It's just a steno notepad. And I quickly wrote down 30 things that I would love to have illustrated in the book. And Josie made all of that happen. So it was just this very wonderful joint experience of building it all together. Well, it turned out beautifully. Oh, thanks. I think so. (laughs) Well, I love to talk about covers, and I particularly love your cover. Tell me a little bit about how your cover came about. Sure. You know, in my role at Doubleday now, I'm involved in our jacket process, and it is such an interesting thing to see that being born. From my experience, we knew we wanted select art pieces on the cover, and it came together really quickly. And that's a credit to Brianna Hardin, the art director behind the cover, and Josie as well, because her art is there. So I would say for us, it was pretty easy because there were there were three iterations. There was yellow, there was an eggshell blue that was beautiful, and then there was sort of a beige version of it. So those were the three. But when we saw the yellow, it was the one that just popped. And then I think there were only two or three things that we kind of swapped out on the cover for balance to the one that you see today. I think we had part of the Schitt's Creek cast was on there, but it didn't quite fit with the image and where your eye would go. So we had to figure out that balance as well. But it was a pretty quick process, actually. Like it, it came together very quickly, and I love that jolt of that of the yellow color. And I think all the art really blends well together. I agree, and I think the yellow is genius because yellow is happy. When you see the yellow, it just makes you happy before you even are looking at anything else. Well, and on the finished book too, if you flip it over, Josie hand lettered some of the items from the list. There, there's a champagne bottle that's popping. Right. And she even drew my own author photo on the back. So it's all connected. I loved that because I actually have the book right here. And I was looking (laughs) at that again this morning. And I was like, that's so fun that she drew you. Oh, I loved it. You know, we have a great author photo that a colleague of mine took. And then when Meg asked, you know, what if we illustrated it? I thought that was just so much fun. I agree. Well, this is probably going to be a hard question for you as a publicist. But I always ask people before I wrap up what they've read that they really loved. Oh, sure. Well, right now I am reading the new novel from my dear friend and New York Times bestselling author, Adriana Trajani, 
She has a novel called The Good Left Undone coming out in April of 2022. This epic saga of a family um, over the course of three generations, and it is incredible. I recently reread from the mixed up files of Mrs. Baisley Frankweiler by E.L. Konigsberg. And I hadn't revisited it for a long time. And it was just as alive and vibrant as I remembered it as a kid. I mention it in my book in an essay, and I still have my hardcover copy from when I was a child with the dust jacket. It's a little worn um, and much loved. But I, a friend of mine got me into a charity event for, I believe it was a literacy event 23 years ago at the plaza. And Mrs. Konigsberg and Paul Zindel, author of The Pig Man, and Ira Weber, author of Lyle Lyle Crocodile, they were all there. And I brought my copy and <laughs> I described the scene as E.L. Konigsberg at a table. And there is this long static graph line of young children. And then there's <laughs> me at the end and the graph spikes. And I was the only adult in line. But rediscovering <laughs> that book now was fantastic. The author Ariel Lahan, who is an incredible writer at Doubleday, she recommended Louise Penny's Gamache series to me, um, her series of mysteries. I started with Still Life last year and absolutely loved those books. So yeah, I, I had a little bit of difficulty reading during this time. I don't know why. Those were some of the things that I've loved recently. I had a hard time initially reading as well. I just felt like it was difficult to sit down and focus. But then I would find something like a thriller for me, even though I'm not usually a huge thriller reader. A thriller would help because the pacing was so fast and it kind of just pulled you into another world immediately. Yeah, the page turners, I mean, those are definitely what Louise Penny's books have done for me. You have this real sense of community and these characters in Three Pines and then Gamache with the murder, you know, investigating the murder coming in, like you just tear through them. I work with John Grisham, and he has a new book out next week called The Judge's List, which is a terrific cat and mouse thriller about a sitting judge who also happens to be a serial killer. And it's so much fun. Oh, that does sound like so much fun and a little bit of a departure for him. Yeah, it's really great. I loved that. I have, you know, the to be read pile is really high, and I have a bad habit of buying things and bringing books into the apartment. So there's always a stack somewhere. Well, and you must, as a publicist, have a certain amount of reading you have to get done anyway. Yeah, we read a lot for work. You know, the editorial side has the most, um, because they're actually acquiring the books. I don't, I don't do that part. I just publicize and, and bring them out to the wider world via media, bookstores, et cetera, as I mentioned. But, you know, one of the great things is that, I, again, books have always been such a part of my life that, you know, I've worked with these incredible writers over the years, Kevin Kwan, Candace Millard, Hampton Sides, David Grant, John, Dan Brown, Margaret Atwood. Like, it's just, it's, I'm so lucky. It's just incredible. Well, thank you so much, Todd, for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. 
Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.